Okay, welcome. Welcome to the Biblos Network. We are so glad that you could join us today. I am here with my brother, Joel Urshan, pastor in Cincinnati, the Tree of Life Church. And we have had the opportunity to um, come together this week. We've been working with um, the promo department of Wilson University. We met here to um, go meet at the grave of A.D. Urshan, N.A. Urshan, and some extended family to talk about their legacy, their history, and, and the impact they had on Pentecost. Joel was in town for it. I'm in town for it. My father was here. Bishop Wilson from Sacramento is here. So welcome. Glad you could be with us on the Biblos Network. I'm glad to be here. Glad to be a part of today's uh, uh, broadcast. Absolutely. It, this one's a little informal, guys. You know, I didn't have my camera crew here. We don't have our professional cameras, so the sound might be a little tinny. We'll see if we can't clean it up a little bit. But, you know, this is mom's house. And we just figured we're here. Um, we have time to do this. And so let's just make it happen. So I'm glad you could join us. Um, we try to do this when we get together as often as possible. Joel and I have spent many years and our father and with our family gathered around, we have spent many years sitting around the living room talking and sharing the good things of God. And um, we want to just give you a glimpse of some of that. And th those are some of our best memories. Absolutely. I mean, it's it's refreshing because you just sit down, you talk about the Word, and uh, and you go deeper into particular topics and flesh it out, uh, share what you've been studying and what you've been seeing. And then uh, iron sharpening iron, comparing notes, and it's always a, a, a edifying experience. It is. Dad put inside of us a love for the things of God. He gets this from his father, N.A. Urshan, who got it from A.D. Urshan. And Pentecost was mightily impacted by their ministries. This week's kind of been a, a microcosm of that. And, and I think probably one of the most um, requested sessions that we get is the sessions where we sit down and we go over the word of God. Hmm. There's a lot of people that want to be a part of that. And you send us your questions, you send us your comments and, um, you, you interact with us and, and you can do that. You can do that at NA Urshan on Twitter. And Joel has a Twitter handle as well. You are Joel, Joel Urshan, Joel Urshan. Mm -hmm. One of my friends called him, uh, the Twitter uh, Jedi. <laughs> if you want to see wisdom in a, a few characters, you can go to Joel's Twitter and you'll yeah. see some amazing stuff on there. Um, but, you know, you can interact, you can send questions in. We do enjoy that very much. We've gotten several topic requests mm -hmm. and ideas that you've given, and we, we like that. That's It's nice when we can interact that way. Um, okay, so today we're going to talk about something that I think is very relevant. Yeah. Um, we're looking at We're looking at society, we're looking at the church. And uh, this, this session today is going to be relevant for brand new people, but it's really going to be relevant for younger people, younger adults that might be grappling with some kingdom principles. And we're going to be talking about the new birth. This session is on the new birth, All right. how it began in the book of Acts, mm -hmm. and some of the challenges that are being brought to bear, particularly through Calvinist ideology but just a, a postmodernist society that tears down every absolute there is and they undermine the New Testament formula for salvation. And you've seen some of this in your own ministry. Sure. Uh, yeah, there's a move afoot. There always is a move afoot. Uh, always has been. Yeah. I mean, uh, heresy is a work of the flesh. Uh, and, and it is something that the flesh creates and generates in an effort to war against the spirit. Paul said the flesh lusteth against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh. Uh, so we fight these weapons or fight these battles with not carnal weapons, but through uh, the weapons that God has provided us with. And um, and that is the word of God, the sword of the spirit. And so we're going to do that today and, and, and talk about the new birth and uh, some ways that we can contend for the faith that was once delivered to the saints. Once delivered, once delivered to the saints. So there's this idea that through councils and Catholic creedal 
dynamics. Mm-hmm. You know, a couple hundred years later, they added things. 400 years later, they added things until finally they got the finished product, the modern version. And the big problem with that is it is the evolution of doctrine. Mm-hmm. And <clears throat> I don't want to spend too much time on this right here, but this is a huge point when it comes to talking to people who might not understand this. So this is for our Trinitarian friends, um, even for atheists that, that confuse the church with denominal attempts to be the church. Mm-hmm. Um, we don't get smarter the further we get from Jesus. Mm-hmm. There is nobody that's going to have more revelation than those original 12 apostles. Nobody. Now, we may be living in a different day, a different hour. God chose us to live in this hour, but but they are in the foundation of the new Jerusalem. Mm-hmm. We're not. We are built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone. So what that means is 200 years later, they can't come up with new stuff to better articulate. There is no better articulation than Peter mm-hmm. and, and Paul mm-hmm. and, and the original apostles that formed the New Testament. And that's that's a bedrock principle. It is. And, and you pointed out the... F- Faith once delivered to the saints, and I and I'll I'll just kind of join in that and say it was the faith, the faith once delivered, not a faith, right? So you see a lot of singularity <clears throat> happening there. The faith, and and we know that there is one Lord and one faith, and so there's not multiple faiths. Uh, it's one faith once delivered. That's what we contend for, and those apostles had a more sure word of prophecy because they were eyewitnesses of his majesty. I would, and, and Luke said, having a more perfect understanding. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He said, seeing many have taken in hand, I thought it good, O Theophilus, to set down yes. those things which are more perfectly understood, yes. having been eyewitnesses. Right. This is the purpose for the book of Acts and for uh, the book of Luke and, and obviously the other synoptic gospels in the gospel of john because many were bringing other gospels and other another jesus paul said right well and i'll add you know when you look at the ladder in jacob's vision Mm. and you look at the vision of isaiah in isaiah 6 he said i saw the lord high and lifted up jacob said i saw the glory of the lord at the top of the ladder um isaiah said i saw the lord high and lifted up ezekiel saw the visions of God saw the heavens opened. They were seeing the same vision, but they were seeing it more clearly each time it was presented because they were coming closer to the uh, arrival of Messiah. But when John the Revelator, when he saw the vision, the same vision, he saw it in its depth, its breadth, its uh, length, and, and was able to provide a, a level of articulation and detail that Ezekiel couldn't provide, that Isaiah couldn't provide, mm. that Jacob couldn't provide, because he was among those 12 who saw it mm, first. That's so good. And so it, it's the, the Old Testament, again, veiled, the New Testament unveiled, and those who were the, uh, those who unveiled it were those, those apostles who saw Jesus Christ reveal himself. And so we look to them. We don't. We are not built upon the foundation of scholars and theologians. No. We're built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone. We're not built on the foundation of Augustinian Mm-mm. or on John Calvin Mm-mm. or Martin Luther Mm-mm. or any of the papal um, right. monarchs that lived. It's Jesus Christ. That's right. And the apostles. That's right. Absolutely. So... We don't get smarter or wiser or more articulate or better understanding the further we get. Quite the contrary. Um, the apostles taught that there would be grievous wolves that would enter in. Mm-hmm. That that in the in the last days the Spirit speaketh expressly. Expressly. That in the latter days some will depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits. And and this is strong terminology, but it calls it doctrines of devils. Doctrines of devils. So the things that people are twisting and distorting are actually demonic. Yeah. Yeah. 
So the idea that you're just going to believe on God and go to heaven because of a mental ascent or a mental inward turning without the new birth, without baptism in Jesus' name and then filling of the Holy Ghost was concocted by devils. Yeah, absolutely. They're comfortable with that. Yeah, absolutely. Well, you know, when Jeroboam <coughs> built two golden calves for Israel to worship, and he said, this is what you're going to worship. He did that because he didn't want them going back into Jerusalem and risk a reunification. Keep them away from the Jerusalem. Kingdom. Keep them away. Because every time they went back to Jerusalem, it was a it was a hearkening back to who they were. Mm. And Jeroboam didn't want that. He'd lose his power if they did. Mm. So he built two golden calves. And, Hear this. And the two golden calves that he built, one was in Bethel and one was in Dan. That's important because Dan is as far from Jerusalem as you can possibly get. And that's noticeably not Jerusalem, but Bethel, that's so close to Jerusalem. You can hardly tell whether you're in Jerusalem or you're in Bethel. Boy, it's close. There's some people that can get it awful close. They can make it look very similar. <laughs> and there's a lot of people who are in Bethel and think they're in Jerusalem and they're mm. not. Mm. And so, so that's true of doctrine. The enemy will con concoct two different types of deceptions. One that's as far away from God as you can possibly get. And it's clear to everybody. That, that you're not where you need to be with God. And then others that are so close that uh, you can think you're where you need to be and, and you're not actually where you need to be. It is important that you're built upon the Word of God. What a statement. And if any of you have a Hammond B3, right now would be a good time to fire it up. <laughs> yeah. Because there's a lot of preaching in that right there. <laughs> yeah, we could just do a little shouting on that. Um, so we're, we're, we're going to talk about this new birth. We have to go back to Jerusalem. Mm. I've given the analogy before that if you were to drink the water of the Mississippi River, where you drink it right. matters. matters. <laughs> yeah. If you're going to drink it down in New Orleans where it empties out into the ocean, you're going to find a lot of stuff in there that's yes. not, it's not good. It'll kill you. It'll, it will kill you. You will ingest yeah. things that it has picked up along the way. And that is why religion... Is killing people today. Mm -hmm. It has ingested Eastern mysticism. It yes. has, it has uh, horrific ideologies that have poisoned it. There's radiation in it. There's to use the metaphor. So if you're going to drink it, you got to go back to the headwaters. Mm -hmm. Is it Atasca? Lake Atasca up in Minnesota? It's it's up there. It's up. <laughs> it's something like that. Well, there's a place where it comes bubbling out of the ground. It's coming from an aquifer. Mm -hmm. it's clean, it's pure. And that, that idea right there, you've got to go back to Acts 2. You've got to go back to the origin right. when it came bubbling up out of the ground uh, from the apostles. And, and as it meandered its way down through time, down through the millennia, the centuries, there were things added into it that will destroy you, that will kill you. You've got to go back to Jerusalem. And right. So that's another way of saying you've got to open up Acts 2. You've got to get to that Acts 2 church. You've got to contend for it. It was once delivered to the saints. It will mm -hmm. save men and women to the uttermost. And you know, another analogy uh, to go along with what you're saying, you know, when you get into these things and you start talking to people about the power of Jesus' name and the infilling of the Holy Ghost and the power of the blood, people who are hearing it for the first time, or maybe even people have heard about it all their life, but when they start to see the truth unfold, they say things like, wow, that's deep. That's deep. How many times have you heard people say, man, that's deep? And it's not actually. The only reason it's deep is because the layers of tradition and false teaching mm. that, that rest upon truth, by the time you dig through all of that stuff, yeah, you've gone pretty deep. But it was never supposed to be That's so good. down far from where you could reach it. He's not far from every one of us, Paul said. And so it's actually quite simple. And the simplicity is found in Acts chapter 2 in the, in the original 12 and the message that they preached. So where into shall I liken a man that hears the word of God and does it? He's like a man that digged down mm -hmm. and built his house upon a rock. Mm -hmm. And when the storm came, it did not fall. Um, that's the person who takes the time to investigate. So without belaboring that point, we want to firmly establish we are Jesus' name preachers. We are apostolic preachers. And, and Bible salvation is faith in God, repentance from dead works, mm -hmm. Baptism by full immersion in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins and then the infilling of the Holy Ghost in a person's life that will be evidenced initially by speaking with other tongues 
and then by the fruit of the Spirit that subsequently will bear witness in a person's life. Right. And then that's what it means to be born. That is the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Right. And that's how we obey that. Um, so having said that, where it gets a little fuzzy for some guys today and some of this younger generation is <clears throat> there's a lot of ideologies that have come out, a lot of doctrines that have come out that say that you just believe in Jesus. They say that you're predestined, and predestination is a Bible term. Right. Uh, predestined is a Bible concept. Right. We'll talk a little bit about that. Mm -hmm. But a lot of this has its origin in Calvinism. Mm -hmm. That there was a predestination, that salvation has no works associated with it, and a lot of young men are, are being seduced by that. A lot of people are contending for that in this world today. So we're going to talk a little bit about the sanctity of that new birth and, and some responses to and a rightly dividing the word concerning the need for repentance, baptism in Jesus' name, and the infilling of the Holy Ghost. And that is the new birth. That is mm -hmm. justification, right. sanctification, right. and the gospel. Right. Well, you know, the, the idea of, uh, of distorting the concept of predestination, it's a sad thing because to suggest that God has gone before and selected who can be saved and, and who will not be saved. Uh, in terms of regardless, doesn't matter what you do, uh, you've already been handpicked, and those of others have not been handpicked, and so they are appointed unto uh, a wrath, and these are appointed unto a salvation. It's a very cruel, it's a very cruel uh, concept, and it and it berays a misunderstanding about God. It's the same misunderstanding people have about God manifesting himself in the flesh. Mm. When you don't know that God did that at Calvary, when you think it was a second person, it yeah. messes with your understanding about the love of God yeah. to consider that God sent somebody else yeah. to do the... I love you so much, I'm sending somebody else. Exactly. No, no, that's not how it worked. <laughs> God was manifest in the flesh, and it was God in Christ reconciling the world unto himself. That's why Jesus said, I and my Father are one. When you understand that, then you understand the love of God in its purity, and it converts you to this, this obedience to God and this, this uh, love for God. The same is true about this idea of predestination. People get a misunderstanding about the love of God, and, and I think it's born out of an, an idea connected to a Trinitarian understanding of God. Because when you think God would send somebody else to do the dirty work of Calvary, then you don't have a hard time believing that he would randomly select, I'll save them, 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 them. But no matter what these people do, I'll never, they'll never have an opportunity for salvation. You, you, you have accepted the cruelty of God. And, and God is not cruel. In fact, when Paul deals with the subject of predestination in Romans chapter 9, he talks about loving Jacob, hating Esau. He's very quick to say, is there any unrighteousness with God? God forbid. God forbid. He's making sure you understand, as I explain this to you, as I break this down to you, know that this is not an unrighteousness of God. God is love. We know from John, and we understand that God so loved the world that he gave. And we also understand that we are to preach the gospel to every creature. That we are to go into all the world preaching the gospel. Uh, this is because it is for everybody. God wills that no man should perish, but that all should come to repentance. And so this is the, the term predestination is just another term to say the will of God. The will of God. And he's not willing. He's not any. willing that any should perish. So God predestinates that anybody and everybody would have opportunity for salvation. And of course we know that he has bidden people to come who will not come. But that's not because God decided for them that they would not be saved. No, it's not. We can touch on predestination here because some people have this idea that it's this simple black and white thing. That guy can go to heaven, that guy can't. That's just it. Tough beans. Yeah. Um, so Larry gets to go. Uh, yeah. Kevin can't. Right. Tough, tough luck, Kevin. Sorry yeah. for you, buddy. Yeah. But that's not how that works. 
Predestination is, if you're trying to be, a, if you're a finite creature and you are trying to understand an infinite God with infinite power, God doesn't just know, and this is a statement that is important to understand, God doesn't just know the track you're on. He knows the billion tracks that lie before you based on your individual decision in that moment. And the decision you make, because you are a free moral agent, and I'm a free moral agent, will alter the course of the rest of our life. And so God would say, he tells Cain, if thou doest well, right. shalt thou not be accepted? Yeah. But if not, right. sin lieth at the door. Exactly. Now there, okay, that's not predestination in the sense that you are doomed to this. Right. Um, and so the fact that God knows it, it can change yeah. based on your yeah. choice, my choice. Right. Abraham, now God knew that Isaac was not going to die. Mm. Or maybe I should say, a better way of saying it probably would be that God knew that Isaac would have many children, as many as the sand by the seashore and as many as the stars are innumerable. God told Abraham that. God cannot lie. Right. And then he says, sacrificing. Mm -hmm. So Abraham has a million choices. He has a billion choices. He can say no. He can say, yeah. He, he can put it off. He can procrastinate. He can, whatever choice he makes is going to be reflected. But God already said he's going to have many children. Mm -hmm. That's actually what Abraham clung to, mm -hmm. was the fact that God cannot lie. And that's the key. If you will just hold to the word and obey the word, then anything God requires yes. is, is going to be to your salvation. If you'll obey the word, believe the word, and obey the word, you'll be saved. You'll be saved. So he goes. Abraham goes to the mountain. When he goes, he says, wait here and I and the lad will go yonder and worship. And then we will return. So he knew they were coming back. Now, the reason he knew they were coming back yeah. is because Isaac didn't have any children. And God said he would have children like the sand and the stars. And, and when you get to the book of Hebrews, the Bible says that he was accounting that God was able to raise him from the dead. Mm -hmm. From whence also he received him in a figure. Yeah. So, so... Abraham receives the revelation of the resurrection from the dead. Right. That God, accounting that God was able to raise him up, right. even from the dead. Right. So Abraham gets that revelation of the resurrection of the dead when he realizes either God's going to spare him or I will kill him and God will raise him up. But one yeah. way or the other, Isaac's got to live because he's right. going to have children. Right. So holding to that word, he goes. Now, when he does it, the knife is coming down. The angel stops him. In this statement, now I know. Now I know. Now, is God lying? Is yeah. God playing games? Is he? He's not. Right. Now, God knew. Right. And But he knew based on the decisions Abraham was making. Right. Now, this is also why God can anoint King Saul. Yes. And and, and, and he said, I would have made you a great right. king. Right. You would have sat on my throne forever. But now, yes. the kingdom is being taken from you. So that that was based on Saul's choices. Yes. Yes. So he's not doomed no. to fail. He's not He's not, he's not, God gave him a chance, gave him a choice. Well, and you know, here's the thing, the, the, this free will is something that is so important and it's a part of the nature of God. God has a free will and, and what he chooses to do with it is what makes him so amazing and so worthy of our praise. It's not just his power that makes him worthy of our praise it, and, it, and that does make him worthy of our praise, but it, what he chooses to do with his power also makes him so worthy of our praise. So God gives us a free will, but that's because he made us in his image. If we didn't have a free will, we would not be made in the image of God. If we were without the ability to make judgment and to decide and to discern, then we would not be in the image of God. So God gives us this free will, and it's a real thing. It's a real free will. And it is imperative that that free will, because of itself, it's of a fallen nature, uh, it's imperative that it surrenders to the will of God by choice. Um, many people take the term in Romans 9, 9, vessels fitted unto 
destruction, vessels of wrath fitted into destruction. Yeah. They take that as though God has just preordained that some people, regardless of their faith, are going to be um, fitted to destruction. Now, there are people who will be destroyed. But here's what you have to understand. That's all of us. Every single one of us, because mm -hmm. of sin, are fitted to destruction. That's good. Every one of us are vessels of wrath fitted to destruction. It is the amazing grace of God that gives anybody and everybody an opportunity to turn from their wickedness. And the beautiful thing about repentance, which is the first word out of Peter's mouth in the New Testament, or the uh, day of Pentecost, Acts chapter 2, when asked, what shall we do? That first word, repent, in the book of Ezekiel, he said it like this. He said, if the wicked will turn from their wickedness, then I, the Lord, will remember their wickedness no more. That's amazing. And that's for everybody. And if the righteous live righteous to the end of his life and then <laughs> give into wickedness. And then do wickedly. I will remember his righteousness no more. That's right. So, again, this is an area where it debunks this idea that some people are just handpicked by God and that other people are handpicked for destruction. So all people are going to hell without Jesus Christ. That's right. That's what happens. It is the only one qualified... <laughs> To enter into the majesty of God is Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ. I'm not qualified. We are not qualified. You are not qualified. No one is qualified except the man Christ Jesus. So the only way to enter into the glory of God's holiness is to be in Jesus Christ. Now that takes us to that second statement Peter made on the day of Pentecost. Be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. That's how one enters into Jesus Christ. They must first turn from their wickedness. They then enter into the body of Jesus Christ through baptism in his name, which is a resurrected body. And then the promise is you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. And we know from the scriptures that, that when a person receives the gift of the Holy Ghost, they will speak with other tongues as the Spirit gives the utterance. And so that was the that was the experience of those who were uh, filled with the gift of the Holy Ghost. And that power of the Holy Ghost inside of us will resurrect our body just as the body of Jesus was resurrected from the dead. If that spirit that raised Christ from the dead dwell in you, he shall quicken your mortal body. And so here's what we have to understand. We say many times, I'm so, I should have been dead and in my grave. Well, yeah, but, but in fact, we all would be dead, and not only in our grave, but in hell, mm. if it had not been for the love of God, for the mercy of God, and that is available to whosoever will. Yes. And it goes back to surrendering your will to the will of God. A, a common idea in the scripture, in Colossians 2, it talks about the circumcision of Christ. A circumcision made without hands. And it's the new birth. The Bible tells us it is being buried with him in baptism and being raised with him uh, through faith in the operation of God. So that, that circumcision is the cutting away of the flesh. It is the new birth. It's the circumcision of Christ. It's made right. without hands. Right. <clears throat> and so the Old Testament act of circumcision is a, is a prefiguring of the new birth. Yeah. And that, that, that was where they cut away the flesh. That was where they were named. Right. They were named when they were circumcised. And um, that is why we are named when we're baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. We receive our name. Mm -hmm. And uh, we enter into covenant with God. So, so now when you, are, when you die and you are buried and you rise again, that is a circumcision of Christ. Mm -hmm. Greater than any circumcision that a rabbi could perform or a priest. or, um, But it is the cutting away of the flesh. Yes. Yes. Jesus was the ultimate circumcision in that right. the flesh died. The flesh mm. was cut away. That's good. The flesh was done away with. And then he was quickened and yeah. he, he was raised from the dead. That was the ultimate circumcision. Right. That was the circumcision of all humanity. The flesh was cut away. So now here's where, here's where the cunningly devised fable yeah. enters in. Because the Bible says that Abraham was justified before he was circumcised. And when it says, when did he receive those promises? And, and I'll remember, Paul is talking to Jews who are called the circumcision. And his point here is to highlight that physical circumcision doesn't save anybody under the new covenant. 
Um, Sabbath days don't. Physical circumcision doesn't. Paul's talking to a Jewish audience, and he's using the principle of circumcision to, to highlight when Abraham was justified. Now, there are some guys who will grab that. They're smart guys. They've been to college. They've been to university. Some of them have got their, their doctorate in theology. And what they say there is, he was justified before that. So they imply that you are justified, or I can be justified before we're baptized and before we can be filled with the Holy Ghost, because Abraham received it before he was circumcised, before he'd entered into the covenant. <clears throat> so, And that, that trips a lot of people up. They, they, they start wrestling with that. They start questioning that. But you have to be familiar with the scriptures. That God gave Abraham that covenant when he was uncircumcised. And the scripture tells us why. That he might be the father of the circumcised and the uncircumcised. Mm -hmm. He then is circumcised. He then goes several years. He circumcises Ishmael. He raises Ishmael. He, Isaac comes into the world. He offers Isaac on the altar as a young man. Mm -hmm. The Bible says that Abraham was justified by works mm -hmm. when he offered Isaac upon the altar. Mm -hmm. And works wrought with his faith. If you want a little more, um, a more full treatment of that subject, go to the one, the subject, the Biblo session, uh, Am I Saved by Faith? And I really spend time on that. But basically the question was, and it's found in the book of James chapter 2, uh, if a man says he has faith and has not works, can faith save him? Mm -hmm. Well, James then goes on to describe, no, faith without works is dead. Now, in Romans 4, it tells us that we're not justified by works. Right. But that means the works of the law. Paul talks about circumcision, the Sabbath. There's nobody. That was a Jewish audience in an ancient culture. Today, that, that was never meant to eliminate all action and all effort or obedience right. on our part. Because when we get to James, we find that Abraham was justified by works. So was Rahab, by the way. Mm -hmm. Their faith wrought with their works. And here's the phrase I like. By works was faith made perfect. Mm -hmm. And then it says, and the scripture was fulfilled that Abraham believed God. Yeah. So the scripture was not fulfilled that Abraham believed God before. Right. It was a process. Right. So God will begin a process of faith. God will start talking to you. God will start dealing with you. God will begin to birth something in you. But it's analogous to a baby being formed on the inside. You're not born yet. Right. Sin can do that too. The Bible says that every man's tempted when he's drawn away of his own lust. When lust hath conceived, it mm -hmm. bringeth forth sin. Mm -hmm. So that when that, either it's either sin or it's faith. Mm -hmm. When that's put into your heart, something is being birthed in you. Paul right. said, my little children, um, I am travailing again right. that until Christ be formed in you. Right. So Christ is forming in us yes. through the word, through yes. prayer, through exposure to his spirit. Yes. But it's not born yet. No, that's right. And the word is the seed that begins that process. When the word is mixed with faith, that's where promises come. In fact, that's why the children of Israel could not enter into the land of promise because they did not mix the word with faith. Mm, that's and, good. And so it's a, it's a, it is a process. And, and when somebody tries to stop that process, that is the equivalent of aborting what God is trying to bring forth into full birth. So when, a, when an individual receives the word and they begin to mix it with faith and they start to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, don't step into that process and say, you're done. You're done. You're saved because you believe that Jesus Christ died. Uh, no, 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 no. You're, you're, you're aborting the birth. Let the birth happen uh, because that is when You'll be baptized into Jesus Christ if you'll continue that process. That's when the Holy Ghost will fill you. You will be filled with the gift of the Holy Ghost. That's the resurrection power. That is what brings us into a place of inheriting the land and being saved. And so this is a, uh, this is a, a promise from God to whosoever will. And, uh, and it's for everybody. And the, the, the fact that there's one faith. That means there's one faith for Abraham, faith. and there's one faith for us. There's a one faith for those of the old covenant, and one faith for those in the new covenant. It's the same faith. Same faith. They're they all, without us could not be made perfect. They could not be made perfect. It's it's the it's the faith that they put into 
the coming of Messiah. And it's the faith that we put into the coming, coming of Messiah. They received a faith by revelation of what Jesus would do, and we received the same faith by revelation of what Jesus has done. You know, th this bears a little extra thought later on. We probably don't have time to go into it, and I haven't fleshed it out, but you saying that is first something. Bible says that they were saved by faith, and we are saved through faith. Through faith. <laughs> now, there's something there. There's something there. I think, that, I think that the Greek word is the same. Because I've looked into it. Oh, tell me about it. Well, I, I, I can't speak authoritatively on it, but the Greek word is the same, but it's interesting that it was translated differently. It's very interesting. It has a, th there is a different uh, application of, of the faith from one covenant to the next. And, uh, it, but, but it is the same faith, and it's the faith once delivered to the saints. We earnestly contend yes. for that faith. So that's why we have Biblos. Yes. That's why we reject the other concepts and ideologies because it threatens that faith. And they they are cunningly, <clears throat> cunningly devised. devised. They're demonic fables. Those are yes, and those are three very important words. <laughs> they're fables. These are myths. They, they they have no rooting in truth or history, uh, and they're devised. That means somebody's in a factory somewhere. There's a strategy. There's a strategy. I've often seen like a demonic boardroom. Yeah. How can we trip them up? How can, ooh, I got one. Yeah, this will really do it. This will yeah. do it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, they're, they're cunningly devised. That means that they are, there's deception in the whole process. And so you have to be able to know the word, know the scriptures. All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. You notice how all of those things are affronts to us. Mm -hmm. Correction, reprove, rebuke, instruction in righteousness. We read the scriptures for purposes of comfort, and we should. But there's a lot more to it. But there's a lot more to this it. This flesh has to be dealt with. Yes. It, it can't be negotiated with. It can't be modified. Right. It can't be um, yeah. nurtured. Flesh has to die. It has to be crucified. got to be crucified. It has to be crucified. So a point to be made here is that Salvation, there is a process to salvation. There always has been. Back to the tabernacle plan, um, which the Bible says in Hebrews 9 and 10 that it was figures of the true. Yeah. Moses saw this in heaven and came back and duplicated on earth. See that they'll make it according to the pattern that I showed you in the mount. Moses saw this. He came back and he duplicated it as best he could. Um. And you have the altar of sacrifice, you have the brazen labor, you have the inner court, the holy place, then you have the holy of holies where the Ark of the Covenant is. Several steps within one process of reconciliation. Right, right. That's and, a good and, word. and the redemption process. Yes. So it wasn't, it wasn't, you know, you could take one and leave out the other. And, and a good point to be made here is if a person denies baptism, it's they might as well yank that brazen labor out. Right, right, right. Or, or if you say you don't need to receive the gift of the Holy Ghost like they did in the book of Acts. Yes. Well, the whole point yes. of the altar and the labor and the showbread and the candlesticks right. and the incense was to get to the cloud coming down into the chamber. And folks, right. God didn't want to come down into a tent. He wants to come down into you. Yes. We yes. are the temple. No, you're not that. Your body is the temple of the Holy, of Ghost. The Holy Ghost. So yes. God wants to dwell in you, dwell in me. Right. And it was a process. Yes. There is a process. It is faith, repentance, baptism in Jesus' name for the remission of sins and the infilling of the Holy Ghost. And that repentance is that brazen altar. That baptism is that labor. Yes. That... that Ark of the Covenant is the presence of God. The cloud does come down into the chamber. Yes. It does baptize the high priest. Yes. And the beauty of the New Testament is it's not just one perfect guy with no blemish that gets it now, but he's going right. to pour out his spirit upon all That's flesh. Right. That's exactly right. Yeah, he giveth more grace. See, grace is favor. We say unmerited favor, but that's the grace we receive. We, we don't merit the favor. He merited the favor. He gained the favor that, that could be merited, but we... We receive it by faith in him and by obedience to his word. So the process we're trying to describe, it is a sequential thing. It is parts of a greater whole. Um, but the whole point is reconciliation right? in that temple experience. 
And when we realize that salvation, okay, another way of describing this is very easily found in the Exodus. There's this idea that I like to point out to people. It's called the geography of salvation. And that is, you can ask yourself, coming out of Egypt, when were they saved? Because there's several things that happened in coming out. It wasn't just one thing. No. And the Exodus, for those that don't know this, in, in Moses' time, as children, the children of Israel were coming out of Egypt, it is a heavy and powerful metaphor for people coming out of sin, coming out of the world. They were baptized unto Moses in the cloud and in the sea. We're baptized unto Jesus Christ by water and spirit. That's 1 Corinthians uh, 10, 1 and 2. Paul said, I don't want you to be ignorant. That there is an ignorance of the scripture that people have in handling the scripture. And Paul said, I don't want that for you. Right. And he makes the comparison. He calls Jesus the rock that they drank from, that spiritual rock. Yes. But to come out of Egypt, there were several things that had to happen. One thing that had to happen first was they had to believe. Right. It's one reason why Pharaoh took away their straw and forced them to make bricks with only slime or mud clay yeah. to make their work harder to make them curse Moses. Right. And sometimes, you know, coming to God, it gets worse before it gets better. Oh, yes. You know, when you're coming off of drugs, when you're coming off of dependency dynamics, when you're trying to break things. Go through a lot. The devil will take away your straw. Yeah. And he's trying to make it hard on you. And you'll say, well, you know, forget Moses, forget Jesus. Let's get back in the world. It's just easier to live like I have been. And that's all designed to keep you in bondage. Right. Um, then they believed Moses. And they turned their back on Egypt and they walked out. Yeah. And there was death in Egypt. And that is a powerful metaphor. That death and that walking away from Egypt is repentance. Yeah. That's where God's wrath comes upon uh, unrepentant, unregenerate people. And so there's death. Then the lamb dies mm -hmm. and the blood of the lamb is painted over the doorpost of our house. Um, they walk out of Egypt. Now, th those are two very powerful metaphors. Right. Because Jesus died. Yeah. Jesus is the lamb. He was the substitute for them then. He is the substitute for us now. We should have died. You should have died. I should have died. Right. And the wrath of God is coming upon all yeah. that have sinned, which is the Egyptians that died. Um, that's where the Passover comes from. The, the, the angel passed over them when it saw the blood. Now, right there, a lot of that, that is a powerful prefiguring of Jesus dying on the cross. The lamb dies, Jesus is the lamb, he died. So there are these people who believe that they are saved at Jesus' death and at Calvary and at the blood being shed, just like the lamb being uh, given in that Old Testament illustration. Mm -hmm. But we're not saved, and they were not saved. Right. They, they turn their back, which is a powerful metaphor for repentance. Right. They walk away from Egypt, mm -hmm. they walk to God's promises. And there's some people that think you're saved at repentance. I yeah. repented, I'm saved, that's all. But we're not just saved at repentance. Jesus talked about John the Baptist preaching repentance, and a lot of people thought that was salvation. Right. Yeah. But he said, there cometh one after me. He's coming after me. I baptize you with water. Unto repentance. Unto repentance. He'll baptize you with the Holy Ghost. And, and, and just as John the Baptist prepared the way for Jesus Christ, repentance prepares the way for salvation. For salvation. So in other words, Jesus is coming. He's not here yet, though. Right. So when they turn their back on Egypt, they are not saved yet. They are still under Pharaoh's jurisdiction. They are still in Egypt. Right. They then come to the water. That's baptism. You will come to the water. When you repent, the next step is repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ. They were baptized unto Moses. So they go through the water to be saved. And for everybody that says you don't have to go through the water to be saved, yeah. Yeah. they are ignoring that shadow and type. That's right. That Old Testament metaphor. Every person there yes. had to go through the water yes. to be saved. And and Moses said, stand still and see the salvation of the Lord just before the Red Sea parted. That That is actually him saying, stand still and you'll see Jesus. Jesus. Salvation of the Lord is Jesus. That's Jesus. So he was letting them know what you're getting ready to experience is what Messiah is going to do 
to save us from our sins. You get ready to see baptism in Jesus' name. That's right. And then you see when they come up on the other side that the enemy is cast into the sea. The horse and the rider is cast into the sea. So that's your past. That's right. That's the things that enslaved you. Yes. So when you go into the water, just like they went into the water, your past follows you into the water to enslave you and, and, and take you back into Egypt. Right. That water covers and buries that yes. sin by the power of the name of Jesus Christ. Yes. And that is baptism. Right. And then the Bible says they walked into the cloud. Yeah. Which is the baptism of the Holy Ghost. Right. And then when they did that, that's when they're saved. That is when Pharaoh's army no longer can take them back. They literally are born of the water. And of the Spirit. And of the Spirit. Yes. And, and, and if you read that in Exodus, God said, this is the beginning of days mm -hmm. for you. Yeah. So their clock started right then. And yeah. when you get baptized in Jesus' name, when I get filled with the Holy Ghost and baptized, yes. that's when my clock starts. Yeah. My new birth is my new life. Yes. Yes. And, and that cloud, that Spirit... Notice that notice that it positioned itself at, at at that point before baptism to separate them from the Egyptians. Mm. And that's what the Holy Ghost will do for you as you are going through this process. You're repenting of your sins and you're about to be baptized in Jesus' name. And you're trying to separate yourself from your past. The Holy Ghost will begin to help you in this process and begin God will draw you. And he will minister to you. That's where that conviction's coming in from. We just saw last night uh, a service that my brother preached for uh, my father. Powerful uh, manifestation of the move of God. And a man came down to the front. In fact, he hadn't come down yet. And my father said, uh, Dad said, uh, you come on down here and let that old time power fall on you. <laughs> And the guy, he's like the guy said, okay. Yeah. And he came down to the front yeah. and the old time power fell on him. <laughs> it was like a lightning bolt hit him. He was filled with the gift of the Holy Ghost. But for the three months that he had been coming to church where he had repented of his sins, he had been baptized in Jesus' name over that three month period, he wasn't saved yet. He was not saved. But he was being led by God into a position of being baptized into the cloud. And, and that cloud was following him. And helping him into this position. But when he was baptized into the cloud, just as he had been baptized into the sea, he was born of the water and of the spirit. And he was saved. Yes. So here they are standing on the other side of the water. Yeah. And if you don't realize that that water is a powerful uh, metaphor, then um, you, mm -hmm. you need to really take a close look at that. Yeah. Because Egypt's on the other side. The water was the separating barrier. Why do you think the devil fought them so hard? Pharaoh's army comes back to make sure they don't go through the water. Yes. And I'll make a strong case that all those yes. forces that try to talk you out of being baptized in Jesus' it's name, the same spirit. it's the same. Pharaoh's coming after you, yeah. and he doesn't want you getting through that water. Because if you do, he yeah. knows what that means. Yeah, He'll, He won't fight you on Jesus' name for healing. He won't fight you on Jesus' name for blessing yeah. your food. He won't fight you on Jesus' name for, um, for uh, casting out devils. Right. But if you ever yeah. try to get baptized in Jesus' name, yeah. well, that's when hell goes to work. That's right. So that's the geography of salvation. The geography shows you when yeah. you are saved. You're not saved when you turn away. You're not saved when the lamb dies. You're not saved just at the water, but you're saved when you are born of water and spirit. Yes. Yes, and you have to turn away from Egypt. The lamb has to die. Uh, you have to go That's through the process. water, and you have to go through the cloud, and it's and it's it's not it's not works alone. Mm -hmm. It is faith with works. With works. I'll say this before we close. Um, this has been a good session. Amen. Um, the Calvinist doctrine and all the branches of it. There, there are many. You know, do your history because if you're going to draw your origins from somewhere, let it be Peter, James, and John. Amen. You can take every single word they say. Do not take Tertullian's words. If you read, see, you can, you can take everything they said and build your life on it. Right. But Tertullian, the stuff he believed, it got weird. Mm -hmm. um, the early church fathers, you know, 
praise God, I'm glad for their stances on things, and we have some written documentation, but that is not Scripture. Yeah. And their perspectives are removed from Jesus Christ. And Calvinism, it is documented history that John Calvin murdered Michael Servetus mm -hmm. because Michael Servetus would not recant the Trinity, uh, or, or rather the oneness position, right. and he refused the Trinity. And and baptism in the name of Jesus Christ. Mm -hmm. And so history, and, and, and you can read this, is a, a fascinating book called Out of the Flames. Out of the Flames, you can get it on Kindle. And, and there it describes Michael Servetus' work, one of the first works to be printed on the, on the printing press when it was invented after the Bible. And John Calvin tore the pages off and covered Michael Servetus with the pages of his work and burned him alive, mm. screaming at him to recant his oneness position. And so today, when we faced Calvinist ideology and people who contend for that, we are not shocked when they are, when they mock us. Yeah. The mockery is the lighter form of the murder yeah. that Servetus felt. Yeah. It's the, the, the arrogance, even. Arrogance, mockery, sarcasm. Yeah, and you preached about this last night, that it was present at the day of Pentecost. Others mocking, said these men are full of new wine. Abraham and Sarah's laughter at the word of God that they would bring forth Isaac. Hagar and Ishmael mocking Isaac. Hagar and Ishmael mocking Isaac. It, 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 Sanballat and Tobias. Mm -hmm. uh, throughout, throughout the ages, truth has been mocked. And the scripture says... Even going forward, the scoffers will go about the streets saying, where is the promise of his coming? And Jesus endured that mocking when they took him to the cross. Yes. It has always been part and parcel with the apostolic experience. And Jesus said when those things happen, when they, when they lie against you and they say, oh man, of evil against you falsely, rejoice. Be exceedingly glad. For great is your reward in heaven. And they did this to the prophets before you. He talked about the track record that mockery has in conjunction with the truth. And so stand for the truth and, and resist and endure the mocking. We look unto Jesus. He's the author. He's the finisher of our faith. And here's how he endured it. And this is how you are to endure it and how I am to endure it. Who for the joy that was set before him yes. endured the cross, despising the shame. That's how you endure it. So... Those that mock us and, and they laugh at us and they trivialize the worship. You can go to Michael and David dancing before the Lord when the Ark of the Covenant came back, back yeah. to Jerusalem. But, but mark it down. When God's presence comes back, it's time to dance. Yes. And we don't back up on that. We celebrate that. That's the stuff that makes giants fall. So, yeah, we're going to get through it. That's the new birth. Contend for it. Don't fall for the cunningly devised fable. Don't fall for the doctrines of devils. And um, praise God. I hope it's a blessing to you. It's been good having you here today. We're praying for the great work in Cincinnati. You are um, you're right in the middle of your Right in the program. middle of a building program. We've laid the foundation. And we're getting ready to put on the pad. Getting ready to erect the walls. Uh, they blacktopped one of the parking lots today. Mm. So a lot is happening. And we're grateful. We covet your prayers. We thank you for rejoicing with us. And it was great to be on today's episode. God bless you. We look forward to seeing you next time.